Blog Talk Radio. Well, hello and welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio Show. I'm here in Minnesota, but it really doesn't matter on this uh, holiday weekend because it's gorgeous and I have a wonderful guest for you today. Naomi File with the Validation Program is with us, but before I pull Naomi into the show, I just want to explain to those of you that are new to our show a little bit about Alzheimer's Speaks and what we're about here. Basically, we believe in giving voice to those afflicted with memory loss and their care partners, empowering them to live purpose-filled lives. Our goal is to raise awareness, give hope, and share the real everyday life stories of living with dementia. Our hope is to teach people how to live with the disease, not as the disease. Our channel expert, Rick Phelps, who has early onset, may join us today. I'm never quite sure if Rick's going to be able to pop in or not. But Rick is the founder of Memory People on Facebook. Again, that is a great resource group. It's closed, so you have to be invited in, but you can just put in in the search bar on Facebook, Memory People, and ask to join. It's a true um, community of people with early memory loss, their care partners, business professionals, and advocates that just support one another through the process. It is, it is about building community and unity. There really isn't any pitching or sales that happens. Um, it's a great place to check out. So if you haven't done that, I highly encourage you to do that. I would also ask that if you enjoy the show today, we would love you to join our collaborative effort in shifting our care culture. Um, in today's world, we seem to look at caregiving as a crisis situation, and we really want to make that one of comfort and support. And to do that, it's all about sharing knowledge and insights and passions, and so we encourage you to join our mission. So if you like the show, if you wouldn't mind liking us on Facebook, um, emailing us to your friends, feel free to go ahead and embed the um, show into a newsletter you might have. Again, it's all about sharing the insights. If while we're live you have a question, you can either use the chat box or you can call in to make a question uh, or a comment. And that number is 714-364-4757. Again, that's 714-364-4757. So with no further ado, I want to introduce Naomi File. Naomi is the developer of the validation program. She was born in Munich in 1932, and she grew up in a home for the aged in Cleveland, Ohio, where her father was the administrator and her mother was the head of social services. After graduating with her master's degree in social work from Columbia University in New York, she began working with the elderly. Between 1963 and 1980, Naomi developed the validation program as a response to her dissatisfaction with traditional methods of working with the elderly population who were severely disoriented. In 1982, she published her first book, Validation, the File Method, which is revised in 1992. Then her second book, The Validation Breakthrough, was published in 1993, 
And again, it was updated and revised in 2002, and it's now in its second revision. Naomi and her husband have made many films and videos about aging and validation, and a number of these films have won awards. Naomi is the executive director of the Validation Training Institute and an extremely popular um, speaker in North America and Europe. Personally, I would call her outstanding. She has made a, a big, big impact in my life. In 1989, she toured Europe three times, or since 1989, she has toured in Europe three times a year, offering workshops and validation to um, Germany, the Netherlands, Scandinavia, France, Belgium, Italy, Great Britain, and Austria. Her books have been translated into French, Dutch, German, Italian, Finnish, Danish, Swedish, Spanish, and Japanese. Um, I am, again, so thrilled to have her with us. This May, um, she is going to be celebrating her 80th birthday. I hope she doesn't mind me saying that, but it's kind of public knowledge. And she's actually coming here to Minnesota in Egan on May 4th, and she's going to be doing a workshop and having a, a celebration and gala um, for all of the work that she has done. Um, plus, there's going to be a meeting of the North America Validation Association, which I will tell you about a little bit later um, in the program. So, like I said, I am so honored to have you with us, Naomi. How are you doing today? Okay, thank you. I'm here in Chicago and uh, visiting my daughter for the holidays, and I'm just fine. Thank you. Well, good, good. I have a few questions for you because um, I really want to let people know the work you're doing. You are as is, is popular as you are. I'm still shocked when I find that some people don't know about you because your work is so powerful and it's so beautiful, and um, your delivery tactics are, are just really quite simple to implement in terms of changing mindsets. And so I want to help um, help you raise awareness of the work that you're doing. So can you tell us, first of all, why did you decide to feel, um, why did you decide um, th that you felt that there was a need for a new way? What made you even go down this path? Well, when I started in 1963, uh, hardly anyone knew that. I don't think the word gerontology was even known. So it wasn't a decision. Um, I grew up in a home, you know, where, as I think as you said, where uh, in the Montefiore home as a little girl. And um, I knew the people. They were my friends. They lived across the hall from me. And I didn't have too many friends as a little girl, so uh, the old people were my friends, and um, many of them were disoriented. And uh, it was a very natural thing for me. I didn't think it was strange. So when I um, came back to Cleveland, I went away to school in 1963 um, and started working. I tried the methods that I had uh, learned first. In, I, I majored in, in, in social work school in, in what they call psychiatric group work, where you work with small groups. And that's what I did when I came back into the same home at Montefiore. I started small groups, but with the people who were then called senile dementia. 
today most of these people would be called Alzheimer dementia. And um, when I started, I tried, I, uh, my background was first behaviorism and then Freud, which was what the School of Social Work was really teaching. So I tried to get people to have insight, you know, to express their feelings and then figure out why they felt the way they did so they could change. And this did not work. And... Um, uh, for example, one of uh, one of the men that I worked with in 1963, and he was in his 80s at that time, said that the administrator, that was my father, was castrating him in the attic. And um, I tried very hard for like almost uh, uh, 10 years, in 63 to 73 is when he died, uh, to try to have him, you know, find out that that wasn't the case. But the more I tried, the the angrier he got, and um, the less he talked. And finally, at the end, he didn't talk at all. And uh, he's just one example of the people that I worked with that I tried to change. And when uh, reality orientation came along, and that was in about 1968, um, and the head nurse there at Montefiore said everybody should use reality orientation, which means telling people you're here in this home and your parents are dead and and you had, and this is the date. And I tried that. And um, people, uh, and I knew the people really well. And, uh, for example, uh, one um, lady would say, I have to go see my mother. No, this was a lawyer, a very famous lawyer. He said, I have to see my mother. And I said, Mr. Bartlett, you're 90 years old. Your mother is no longer alive. And he said, oh, she certainly is. My mother is alive on a technicality. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So, I mean, that's just a, a few examples of um, I tried all kinds of techniques with this population. And I found in each case that listening to the person, there was always a reason why they did what they did, that this was not uh, a strange disease or anything. And I'm talking about very old people, not people in their 40s or 50s or early 60s. But, uh, for example, the man that said that my father was castrating him in the attic, that he, his father, I found out this after he died from his sister, that his father had punished him when he was a little boy and locked him up in the attic and for things he never even did. And he never said anything. He was meek and mild his whole life. And now in his old age, and there was my Freudian background that helped me realize this, he was using my father as a symbol, as a substitute for his father, because my father was the authority in this home, and he was getting his anger out against his father, which he should have done years and years ago but never did. So, and that the lady that said, there's a man in my room, I found out that she was abused when she was a little girl. So, and there are hundreds of cases like this where I found that there was always a reason when people uh, said, I have to go see my mother, that they had to tie up loose ends, or when one lady said she was still working, she was working for GE her whole life, and um, and she and she, I asked her how old she was, and she said over 30. And I, I thought, what? Um, and this is a woman who, when she was, she couldn't, who had to work. And when she retired at age 65, 
she brought her typewriter into her house, and every morning at 9 o'clock, she would be typing for General Electric. Okay. And she had this, yeah, and that she would fall apart if she didn't. Sure. Um, if she wasn't working, and that there was a good reason. So this lady couldn't remember. I mean, she did have physical damage to her brain, but she also had psychological reasons for going back into the past. And I found out that, you know, that this was not just the brain that explains the behavior, but the way the person has lived. And so validation is, you know, became a very holistic way of looking at a human being, that when you get very old and you can't roll with the punches of aging like this lady, you hold on. Um, the psychiatrist Eric Erickson called it stagnation. He said that we have life struggles at every stage of life. Actually, Freud said this too, but Erickson developed it uh, from little kids to very old people. And if you don't face your life struggles at a certain age, they come back later. And so when you get to be 65 and you have to retire, your struggle is um, you have to generate new activity. If your husband dies, you volunteer. If you can't work, you find, you know, or you, if your husband dies, you find another relationship. Or if you can't work, you would volunteer. So, but this woman could never do that. She hang, she had to be a secretary and a bookkeeper for General Electric. And when she came into the home, uh, she couldn't bring her underwood typewriter, but she brought her purse, which was her filing cabinet. And she would be filing away, and she was very happy, holding on to something that was gone, but she had to do it. It was her only way of coping with losses. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, and it, it's all, again, it gets back to she felt purposeful, you know, and that still yeah. her. Yeah, she had a sense of identity. Exactly. So can you um, can you explain in a little bit more detail how the validation program is different from a lot of other methods that are out there? And, and maybe, you know, if you want to highlight a couple of different methods, even just being kind of our, our general medical model versus the validation program? Well, when somebody yells and says, I have to see my mother, um, I guess uh, if you were in a hospital and you did that a lot, or I have to go home, I have to feed my children, and you're 90 years old, I think you would probably be given a tranquilizer to calm you down. Mm -hmm. I think that's the main goal is to calm people down. Uh, if you were in a in a nursing home or an assisted care facility, they would use a technique called diversion or redirection. If you said, I have to see my mother, um, oh, and also they would use a technique called the therapeutic lie. They might say, well, your mother's right around the corner. She'll be right back. So just sit down and we're going to, uh, you see, we have this wonderful music we're going to play, and you love this music. So redirecting the person to another activity so that they don't think about uh, their mother or, you know, whatever it was or their children or whatever it was that made them um, unhappy or anxious. Um, and, of course, there's reality orientation, redirection, I think, as I just said, and medication. I think these are the main, the main um, methods that are used today, M mm -hmm. mostly redirection, I think. Yep, I think redirection and the therapeutic lie are still, right. still used a lot out there. Can you tell us how how is your program different? On, um, and let's look at the therapeutic lie and the redirection. How is your okay. program different? Well, if if I if uh, someone says I have to see my mother, uh, 
um, instead of redirecting them, you you know that there's a reason why this old lady has to see her mother or, or this man. Mm-hmm. And the reasons may be that there's unresolved issues. Um, maybe the old woman, when she was little, maybe her mother hurt her. and She never mm-hmm. talked to her mother. Um, or maybe um, she couldn't be alone. She had to have her mother. She never cut the cord as a teenager. So um, maybe she has to tie up loose ends. And uh, she never had an intimate com- communication with her with her mother. And we all need to tell our parents how we feel. This is our task as an adult. Mm-hmm. And she never did that. So th- the validation worker would help her. And also the validation worker would know that we all have a mind's eye. Uh, 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 Wilder Penfield was a neurosurgeon in 1950 who discovered the mind's eye. And it's a certain area in the temporal lobe. It's like what helps you dream in color. And um, if you don't see very well from the outside world, the inside world becomes really clear. And that um, I would I know that this woman could see her mother using her mind's eye and that there was a reason. So you would ask, um, where is your mother now? And and the lady might say, she's, she, she's waiting for me. I have to see her right now. She needs me. Um, what do you have to tell your mother? And you pick up the feelings of the woman. Um, and if she's walking, you mirror her tempo. What your, your goal is to get into the world of the old person and feel the way the person feels and help the person say what they need to say. And then when the old person says, well, my mother is really sick, and, and I, 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 she's all alone, and she needs me, and you would pick up, your mother really needs you, and what do you want to tell her right now? I have to tell her, Mom, I love you, Mother. And the old lady cries, and uh, the validation worker listens as the old woman cries, knowing that crying is healing. You don't try to re-divert a person. Uh, distract them. You help them express whatever feelings they have. And if you do that, almost always the old person, once they finish crying and talking to their parent and saying what they need to say, they will say to you, my mother is with the dear Lord. She's gone. The person always knew that their mother was dead. But a few minutes before, their mother was alive. But once their feelings were expressed and validated, really listened to, whew, the person felt better. So and um, we have films of this, of people saying, I have to see my mother, and then expressing their feelings, and two minutes later, what do you mean? One lady says, um, my mother's dead. Of course she's dead to have a kid like me still alive. <laughs> you know, what's interesting is, um, and your story just kind of um, emphasized this again for me, that really a person with dementia isn't all that different from the rest of us. They they might process things different, but the same thing is true for all of us. We have to feel our emotions and process them to be able to get to the other side and to kind of see the light when we're upset, when we're depressed, when, you know, whatever it is. I mean, we have to be able to embrace those those moments because stashing them, you know, just does damage and causes more frustration and angst and that was a perfect example of helping them express that emotion and get through it and be able to come to a, a peaceful place again. 
And so thank you very much for, for sharing that story. Can you and what also us? happens is after you after people do that, they don't see their their mother as often. You know, mm-hmm. in other words, the behavior lessens. Yep, because because the need has been filled. That's and, right. Uh, yep, yep. Great, great point. Can you tell us how validation is not, um, and you, you kind of went with just not agreeing with the other person because sometimes I know people will say, well, it's, you're just kind of agreeing with where they're at. Um, yeah, it's absolutely not agreeing because if I if I say there's a man under my bed, if an old person says there's a man under the bed, and you say, oh, what a nice man. Um, I, yeah, he looks really good. The old lady will, will not say anymore. Because on another level of consciousness, deep down, she knows that there is no man there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because there, there are many levels of awareness, and this has been known for years and years. This is nothing new. This was known even before Freud. And I found on a deep level, people know, they know their parents are dead. A woman who needs to be a mother or a woman who has had an abortion, and she uses a, a doll, Sometimes when people are very disoriented, they use their hand as a symbol for a baby. And uh, you you validate that person. You say, oh, um, is it a boy? Is it a girl? Uh, what do you want to give it? Uh, when you validation is getting into the world of the person, matching their emotions and helping them express what they need to express and being where they are. And then they what happens is they come to where you are. And if the if the woman, the old lady, can say, "Oh, it's a sweet little boy," and I give it orange juice, and he's so cute, and and a few minutes later, the, the same old lady will say, "It's not real. It's just a doll." She mm-hmm. always knew it was a doll. So if you lie to somebody, um, you know, if I if I say I have to see my mother, and you say she's right around the corner, I will sit down. Because I want my mother to be alive, and I see her with my mind's eye, and I need, to, I need her. But on another level of consciousness, I know my mother is dead because I was there when she died. I buried her. I saw her eyes in her grave, and I'm not going to forget that. That was traumatic. So the people that teach a therapeutic lie say that people forget. <laughs> well, maybe they don't want to know. I don't want to know I'm in this home. I don't want to know that I don't work anymore. A man that says I have to go to work because that, that's his identity, that's his potency as a man. And and you lie to him and you say, okay, Joe, we'll go around the block, we'll go to work. Um, deep down that man knows he lost his job. You know, he was mm-hmm. traumatic. So um, a person doesn't trust you deep down because they know that something isn't right, even though you're telling them what they want to hear. And validation has got to be honest and genuine. And it works because it be, it builds a trusting relationship. The old person trusts you. And then they come with you. Okay. Well, that, that, makes, uh, that makes total, total sense. Can you tell us um, what population your program works best for? Yeah, I started with very old people in their 80s and 90s. Um, and these are people who uh, went through aging and they lost and they had memory loss as, as they got to be in their 70s and 80s. Um, and that's the population that you can reach. They were mostly people who had unresolved issues. 
um they uh they never faced um they never faced really strong emotions like anger against parents or um they they were abused or something not everybody but a lot of people uh, never expressed or or inability to face aging the losses mm-hmm. that come with aging and um so uh, uh now in old age they go it's easy for them to go back into the past uh, they they uh, retreat to resolve and restore the past and some of them do that for balance um if if i can't see and i can't hear and i have to be working it's very easy for me if i'm a very old person and i have brain damage the brain damage is important and i don't know where i am anymore because my kinesthetic nervous system, my sensory cells don't tell my brain where my body is. And I was a, a, a farmer, and that's my identity, to be a farmer. It's very easy to use my mind's eye and see my cows and milk my cows. So what this is is a combination of physical loss and psychological need to restore the past so that you can live, so that you know we all need equilibrium. And Mm -hmm. this is the population that validation helps. Now, people who are in their 40s and 50s and 60s, they they shouldn't have all these plaques and tangles in their brain. When we get very old, we normally get these plaques and tangles. Um, Carlton Gadgetcheck was a a Nobel Prize winner, and he he was, um, um, I think, a neurophysicist, neurologist, and he wrote that if we reach age 90, 90% of us will have these Alzheimer plaques in our brains normally. It wouldn't mm-hmm. be normal if you were 50 or 60, um, just like wrinkles. If, if, you're, if you're 50 and 60 and you have tons of wrinkles, that's not normal. Something's wrong with your skin. But if you're 95, it happens. Mm-hmm. And um, so people who are younger who have um, these plaques and tangles in their brains, and only an autopsy still can tell if they do. But if if that's a diagnosis, validation does not always help that person because um, there it's very difficult to get eye contact. And often the reason for the retreat to the past is a purely is more a physical one, purely not purely, but more damage to the brain. Not always, but and that um, a person who is 40 or 50 is is not nearing the end of life. And um, the valid, uh, one important principle in validation is that when people reach the end of life, they have to prepare for death on some level, not consciously. Uh, like people who have never rebelled, they mm-hmm. start hitting out at, at the nurse, and she becomes a mother symbol. So they're, they're react- they should have rebelled when they were a teenager, and they never did. So then when they get old and, and lose awareness of where they are, it's very, uh, this is what they do to resolve this unfinished issue so they can die in peace. But what, people who are younger, 40 and 50, um, they're not ready for that yet. So there it's a much more physical uh, damage. People walk differently when they're younger. Um, and uh, so it's hard to get uh, uh, the same kind of relationship that you get with people in their 50s than you would get with someone in their 90s. Sure. Because the reason for their disorientation is different. Okay. I mean, it's not totally different because there is brain damage with both. But I think with a very old person, like they had, I don't know if you're familiar with the NUN study, 
uh, there was a, a very famous nun study, I think it was 1997, was published or somewhere around there. Very old nuns, 101 years old, they did autopsies of their brains. They found all these plaques and tangles in their brains, but these nuns were never demented. They never were had any diagnosis of any dementia. They were fine. So um, these plaques, and my father, who was a, a psychologist, had autopsies done of the residents of the home where I lived. And one lady I remember when I was a little girl, my mother t- had her teach me how to sew. And she was a very strict German lady, and I was terrified of her. She was in her 80s then. And she would say to me, you sew that button again, and if you don't, I will tell your mother. And she terrorized me uh, two weeks before she died. And after she died, they did an autopsy, and they found all these Alzheimer plaques in her brain. But that, you know, And my father published this in 1957 in the Journal of Geriatrics. So what I'm saying is that when people get very old, the brain can normally deteriorate just like the rest of the body. I mean, we shrink. I am much shorter now than I was 10 years ago, and my brain is shrinking as well with the rest of me. And uh, my memory isn't as good as it was because I'm losing brain cells. And that's aging, and I think we need to accept that. So that validation, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say I agree very, very much with that. And, I mean, we start losing brain cells really at a very young age. It's just not as noticeable. Um, and so it is, uh, you know, a standard process that does um, does occur. Um, and again, it's a fine line between what is normal and what is not. And that's why it's good to get, you know, early diagnosis and and just be conscious of it too. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons, you know, for me, we really need to, in, in my opinion, shift our care culture and remove the fear. Um, here in the U.S., I just think our fear factor is so high compared to other countries and and um, not that other countries don't struggle with it um, but you know my experience and I've never been over to the UK but just in talking with people over there they just seem so much more accepting of the of the process and look at it as something that you just live with and not that you be fearful of and, or ashamed of and I think that that's you know, over here, um, there's still this huge stigma with the disease, and it seems to be celebrated and accepted more over there. Is that you? I mean, you go over to Europe all the time. What do you see, Naomi? Well, I know uh, in one story, a, a, a man in China, um, when his uh, father, when he sees he sees his 90-year-old father talking to his grandfather, who is dead, the 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 50-year-old says, "Well, my father is planning." to go back to his ancestors. And this is very normal. This is what he should be doing at this stage of the game. That we have different tasks throughout life, and when you get very old, you sometimes need to restore the past to prepare for death, to wrap things up. And your brain helps you do that because you don't know where you are anymore so well, and you don't see well, you don't hear well, so it's very easy to go back into the past. And this is a a normal process. And I think it is more accepted in Europe. Um, and I think in America we prize uh, intellect and cognition and knowing the day and the date and so on. Um, and 
this is not so prized. Uh, uh, one woman once told me she got this, you know, the mini mental test that they give. Uh-huh. Sure. One woman, she said to me that young, she was in her 90s, that man, that young man, he doesn't know who the president is. He asked me to tell him. Well, I didn't <laughs> tell him. He has good eyes. He should go see a doctor. Um, and, yeah, another lady uh, said to me, she was so happy, and I said, Mrs. Smith, what happened? And she said, oh, I had a wonderful conversation with my mother and my aunt. I didn't have the heart to tell them that they were dead. Wow. Yeah, and and these are people called demented. Mm-hmm. Um, and another lady, we were singing Daisy, Daisy, and this was many years ago, when the people were called organic brain syndrome. You know, the diagnosis has changed through the years for the same population. And we were singing Daisy, Daisy. Excuse me. And every time we got to I'm half crazy, she would stop singing and laugh and laugh. And I was so curious why. And one day she, uh, I asked her, and she said, well, you know, it's better to be crazy because then it doesn't matter what you do. <laughs> so she knew that she uh-huh. was losing it. And first it bothered her, and she says, what the heck, I'll just go with the flow. It's better to be crazy. So people have an awareness deep down of what's going on with them. Yeah. So, I, I and there's a wisdom. that That's why I love working with the people, especially in a group, because the wisdom that they have comes out. Yeah, my and mom. it's uh, intuitive wisdom, huh? Yep. My mom has been on this journey for 30 years. She started having memory problems in her mid-50s at my age. Mm. and. She's now 84, and I've been going to write a book for several years now, but she mm. is still teaching me lessons, and she's in her end stages. She's been in her end stages for four years and wow. really doesn't speak much, but the powerful lessons still are being taught to me. And so people are like, mm-hmm. you have to write the book, and I'm like, it's her journey, and it's not over. And, you know, it's going to just be a completed spirit when it's done, but the, the mm-hmm. power and the level of the connections are so huge uh, on such a level I didn't even know existed. And um, you know what? At this time, I want to share with you a story of what one of your videos did for one of my readers of the Alzheimer Speaks blog um, because I, I think this is just such an incredible um, tribute to your work. Mm, um, thank you. Can I put you on speakerphone here? Sure, sure. Because my husband's here. He would like to hear this. Oh, not a problem. Not okay, a problem. Okay, just a sec. Okay. Hello? Well, hello. Okay, well, I'll go ahead and, and share the story here. This woman's name was Sherry, and she was dealing with her mother, and I think we just lost Naomi. Naomi, are you there? Okay, are you still there, Naomi? Well, we're on the air, and I can hear the echo in the background, so I know that they're there, but I'm not quite sure what's going on.
Hello? Hello? Are you still there? Naomi? Hello? I am not sure if we are live or not here, so I am going to call in on another number here and just double-check because I am not hearing Naomi. And so if you can please bear with us because I'm not quite sure what happened here. So it's looking, this is very strange. But we will try again and see what happens. So please just bear with us if you're there. And if you can hang on, that would be great. So I'm just going to call in on a different number and try to pull her back into the conversation. Okay. Do we have Naomi on the line? I'm not quite sure. I am still here. So... What I am going to do is I'm going to have to call her back onto the line here. So bear with us here, and we will get we will get back here. Okay, thank you. on how to communicate 
with Alzheimer's patients. I've seen her in person, and she's absolutely incredible. Promise me you'll try to watch these videos before your next visit. The second video is the one I for sure want you to watch. It features Naomi and Gladys Wilson. And you will see from the video they are inside that shell of her body that you refer to. So I pushed her to your website. She watched the film. And it was Halloween was, um, I think, two days later. And I was at a conference all day long, and I had been thinking about Sherry, wondering how she was doing, because I knew she was going to go visit her mom. That evening, I got back to my room, and I'm probably going to cry, because every time I tell this story, I cry, because it's so moving. I got to my room, and I checked my emails, and this is the response I got. I did it. I went to see mom. And my husband waited for me in the car. I just wanted time alone with my mom. I went into the room where she lied in her bed, and for the first time, I caressed her face. How soft it felt. And I told her I loved her. Can you believe it? I told her that I was happy enjoying my life and that my sisters and brothers were doing well. I told her to let go and that it was okay. I talked to her about her mother, and then I looked forward to seeing her when God was willing and made all things new, and that I knew that persons who die will be made whole again, and I will look forward to seeing her come back as my mother with her whole mind once again. All of a sudden, she started to mumble and move. It was so deep to see that, because otherwise she just lay there I never get a response. When I repeatedly told her that I loved her, she had movement. I really felt it. There was a connection. I just wanted her to know that it was okay and that she could rest. I didn't stay long, but the visit was so good. I can't wait to go back and see her. Now, one of the things that had happened through this story with her was A, they never told each other that they loved one another. And she was so fearful of of doing that and making her mom feel uncomfortable. And one of the things I shared with her, because in, in my experience is, because um, I've worked with um, seniors for a long, long time, is a lot of times they would love those old patterns to be broke and they didn't break them with their family. But that's how they, you know, that's how people were raised, to not communicate and not show their emotions. And for her mom to, she, you know, she gave her that movement, and there's also a piece in here where she cooed like a baby. Um, Sherry was just so ecstatic. I talked with her then on the phone afterwards, and she just... Um, it was just so life-changing. She couldn't wait to go back and see her, and that was a total flip from I don't want to go because I don't know what to do. There's nothing I can do. And your film with Gladys just was such a blessing, not only to Sherry and her mother and her family, but we shared. she allowed me to share that story on the blog, and it has helped so many others, and I, I speak of it all the time when I do speaking. Um, and, you know, share your video of Gladys Wilson. 
if people have not seen that video, um, they really, really need to watch it because it is so powerful. And though it focuses on somebody in the end stages, it really it speaks to our connections throughout life that we are connected at a higher level, and that um, you know it is so powerful. So I just personally want to thank you. Sherry wanted so bad to be on the show today to be able to tell you herself what a wonderful, wonderful inspiration you were for her mm -hmm. and um, how much she appreciates the work that you did mm -hmm. and allowed her to have those moments with her mom that she thought was long gone. Mm. Well, that so, is a wonderful story. Yeah, it, yeah, I think that's yeah. And and I, yeah. I I can't tell you how many times when I've shared your your video with Gladys, um, the reaction you know in the audiences are people are just amazed at mm. how you did that and in the time that you did that. And they start looking at the person with dementia differently. They start mm -hmm. looking at all the signs that you just innately see in somebody that allows you to do what you do and teaches them to look for different things instead of the standard responses that we all are so used to. And so you and your husband have done this such beautiful work with your videos um, mm -hmm. in terms of helping people... Um, through that process and and through your training in your books, um, it's just it's absolutely incredible work, Naomi. Um, well, thank so I you. just definitely wanted to share that yeah. with you. And That's sorry, we had excuse me. Yeah, it gives my life meaning too. You know, to know that is a wonderful thing for me. Yep, yep. Well, and that's why I wanted to to share that with you and and be able thank to you. celebrate because I think you have a zillion of these moments going on all over the world, but you probably don't hear them as much mm. as you should. But know that they are that they are occurring and how Thank how you. powerful they are. Um can you tell us a little bit about your global work? You know, you have such great impact around the world. And tell us about your work in, in Europe and US and the Japan. Um, you know, what all are you doing? Well, I think it started, I was doing a workshop in Canada, and um, a, a Canadian, a, a lady, she was a nurse, uh, published an article, um, this was many years ago, about validation, and she was Dutch. And somebody in Holland read it, and um, they translated it into Dutch, and then the administrator of a home in Holland called me and asked me if I would come to talk there. And I did, and uh, people responded, and then someone from Germany was in that workshop, and they heard it and asked me to come to Germany. So it was really a word of mouth. This started in 1988. Um, and then I, I did uh, work in Vienna for a period of time, and uh, people were very responsive to um, to the idea, and I think especially in Germany, uh, maybe because of Freud, you know, the idea that we all have unresolved issues, and that mm -hmm. this behavior isn't just a, a medical one, 
and that if you uh, try to communicate with a person on their level, you can do it. And um, and then uh, I think the people in Germany went to Finland, and they gave them my book. And the people in Finland asked me to come there. Um, and with Japan, it was very similar. Um, a, a Japanese um, a man who was the head of what CLC, which is an organization that helps um, everyone throughout Japan, not only uh, old people but children, and you know they're a, um, a helping organization. And he went to Sweden, I think. Yeah, he went to Sweden to see how they they handle their elderly. And he's and uh, there was a lady. I guess he went to one of the homes who was in a fetal position, and somebody came and uh, mirrored, you know, and sang, used music. Mm-hmm. And the the man from Japan asked this uh, the worker, "What are you doing?" And she said, "I'm doing validation." And he said, "What's that?" And she told him, you know, that he was she was getting into the world and so on of this woman, and that music was very very powerful. When people reach um, this, what we call um, the final, we call it um, the fourth, uh, the third phase of repetitive motion. And um, so then he he read my book, The Validation Breakthrough, and then they translated it into Japanese. And then I've been to Japan now for over uh, maybe 15 years, every year. And I think what part of it is that the Japanese have not expressed their emotions at all. And so when the people get really old and the feelings become incontinent, you know, they spill out, people can't control them, their families are afraid that an evil spirit got into them. So they started beating them to try to get the evil spirit out. And so I think uh, the, the, um, the Japanese, uh, the CLC, uh, was, you know, really motivated so that, so that people would understand and know how to how to um, communicate with their with their families, and I think that's why. And then um, people really would respond to this. But we had to work especially hard in Japan. We now have six validation teachers, and that means that they've gone through three years of really uh, very serious training in validation. But they had to have an extra session on just on emotions and what it means to express emotions because there was such a fear of this. Sure, sure. In the culture. Yeah, and I think that that is, you know, that's just such an important thing to talk about and um, to bring that to light. Um, The way you did is is absolutely fantastic. Um, Now, you're coming to um, Minnesota here May 3rd, and you're going to be doing a workshop on validation. And so if anyone is interested in getting more information, I will be posting information on the blog later today um, with that. I'll have that in the events section. And then on May 4th, you are actually you're going to be celebrating your 80th birthday and just all of the work that you've done. So I'm very, very excited about that. And then um, there's also going to be a NAVA event, which is the North American um, Validation Association. There will be a meeting while you're in town for that. So I will post all of that information on the Alzheimer's Speaks blog for people to be able to to find out and maybe come and join us because you are 
you're just such a joy to see in person. I mean, I'm thrilled to death we have you on the air, but um, to see you in person is just so powerful, and you inspire so many people. I mean, every time I've come to hear you, the, the chatter outside is just incredible. You just energize a room, um, you know, with your with your stories and with your passion, you know, to, to shift our dementia care culture. So I would really encourage people to um, take part in that if they can or find out information to, you know, bring Naomi to their hometown, no matter where you are in the world. Um, this lady travels <laughs> all over the place, so that's absolutely fantastic. Do you want to highlight or do you have time to maybe highlight for us just the, the various um, steps of validation that you have? And just summarizing? Well, a verbal, uh, people can still talk. We use um, one technique, one validation method is called rephrasing. Mm-hmm. So that if someone, for example, says, um, I wish I was dead, instead of saying, oh, don't worry, you're fine, you're going to be fine, which is patronizing and, and diverting, um, to, uh, rephrasing is listening very closely and picking up the rhythm of the person. It's not mimicking, but just picking up their rhythm So, um, and saying what they have said in your own words, in a question, as if you're just checking out. Is this what you mean? So if someone says, I wish I was dead, their voice was low, and after wish there was a pause, and I was dead. The, the emphasis was dead. So rephrasing would be, you don't want to live anymore. And then the person knows you really care and you really want to know more. And that's the beginning of building trust. And then to help the person tell you more, use a technique called polarity, which is the extreme, the positive or the negative. And with this example, it would be the negative because the person feels so bad. And you want to help them get all that negativity out. And then you can play music and have fun. But first, the feelings have to come out. So you would ask, what is the worst thing about being alive that makes you want to die? And then the old person might say, well, I can't walk. I walked so much in my life. And then you wait and the person's crying because they need to grieve because they can't walk anymore. You listen as, as they cry with empathy. The, the main thing, and I, we didn't mention this word, is empathy, feeling what the person feels, even though... You're not going through what they're going through. You feel with them, not just for them. And then all these techniques will work. So um, when you say uh, um, you don't want to live anymore, you feel with that person. You find a time in your life when you didn't want to live anymore. And we have all had those feelings. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, four basic emotions, and, and you, you match the emotion of the person the motion, then the person trusts you because they know that you're in their world and you really care. And then you might use a technique called reminiscing. And after the person's finished crying, you would ask, well, where were you born that you walked so much in your life? And then the person might say, well, I was born in Minnesota and, and the trees and the, and, and, and the woods. And, um, and my husband and I, we used to walk. And then you, you would use a technique called the preferred sense, um, where, where the person is very visual. We all have a sense that we prefer. 
and uh, you try to use, if a person still has, uses a lot of visual words, you use visual words and the person can answer you. So if the person says, oh, my husband and I, we used to walk through the fields and they were green, you wouldn't ask, well, what did your husband say to you? Because that's auditory. You would ask, well, what does your husband look like? Was he tall like your son? And so these are, um, there are other techniques, but these are very basic verbal validation techniques that you would use to help the person to communicate, to get into that person's world. And the nonverbal techniques, well, as you mentioned with Gladys, would be touch, to touch the person when people can't talk anymore. Um, you have to look at them. We call this a calibration. You look at them very key. First, you center yourself to get rid of all your own stuff. Because if you say, oh, this poor old lady, she's just like my grandma, you can't get into her world. So you have to take away your own feelings and just put them, just closet them for those five minutes. It doesn't take long. Validation takes a lot of energy and caring, but it doesn't take a lot of time. And um, you would look at the person carefully, for example, and you see that they're looking up. People that look up are often visual. People look down are often kinesthetic. In other words, they're feeling something. And um, you look at their facial muscles and so on. And uh, if their lower lip is down, if their chin is down, and you, you you pick up their breathing. Very often, if you pick up somebody's breathing, you begin feeling the way they feel. It just happens. So if a person, if every the muscles are all flaccid and the lower lip is down, and then and the whole body is down, and you would just say, you would have to say, with empathy, you're sad. And that person, no matter how disoriented, feels that you that someone out there is feeling what they're feeling. Mm-hmm. And they open their eyes almost always, and you have to accompany that with touch because people very often are restoring people from the past, from the inside. So if a person is missing their mother, you would touch them on the upper cheek very gently because that's where the baby was first touched by the mother, and every cell remembers where it was touched by the mother because the body remembers and uh, if it was a father, it would be more in the back of the head. Now, every culture differs, and there's no formula. You try different places. But if it is the mother, the person will open their eyes and look at you, and you become, with your touch, uh, the mother person. And then you would sing a song that, that the mother sang. Uh, music is very important. Like in, when I went to Japan, I had to learn Japanese lullabies when I worked with the people. And they would respond to me. Um, and then you have a, and then very often when people start singing and moving, they start talking because those sleeping brain cells wake up. Um, and that, and every time, if you do that for for one minute or two minutes every day, you know, if you're in a home, in a nursing home, when when you you can do that while you're toileting the person or feeding the person, you stop for one minute for sixty seconds. And you touch that person very gently where their mother touched them. You sing the three songs their mother sang to them, and you move with them. You can do that even if they're in the bed. And you mm-hmm. find, uh, and people will wake up. I mean, they'll respond, though. They, they certainly won't become living dead people. And that's your big goal in validation, is to prevent people from what we call vegetation or the living death. It doesn't have to be with very old people. People do not have to deteriorate into living dead people at all. 
and the administrators who have used validation since 1983 have published this in the validation breakthrough, that their very old people do not become living dead people. You cannot bring back dead brain cells, but you can wake up sleeping ones. And there's a lot of sleeping brain cells in these very old people. Yeah, my mom has taught me taught me that um, through this process, and I think that's what she continues to teach me in these last four years in her end stages, is we yeah. just never know what she's going to do. My daughter is now, um, well, she'll be 24, and she's an, an activities person now at a nursing home oh. or assisted living. But she, and it's connected to where my mother is, so she goes and visits her quite often. Oh. And, you know, on a good day, my mom can say three words, but typically they're not Mm. strung together in a sentence that makes sense. And and she has had her moments, though, and Daniela will text me because she gets so excited, and she's like, Mm. Grandma said I love you to me again. And, Mm. you know, just powerful things. Or she Mm. reached out to grab her hand, which she has Mm -hmm. no control over typically to be able to do. Um, but wow. it's believing that those moments exist because um, mm-hmm. we can't we can't see what we're not looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, she had one where she went to um, uh, visit somebody, and uh, who who she was very close to, and this woman was like a mentor to her, and she was she called her a mentor grandma because her grandma really can't communicate to my mom in her in her stages. Mm. And so this woman and her became very, very close. And she had a stroke, and she was told by the doctors that, you know, she can't respond. The family was told, you know, she's not going to respond. And we hear this all the time, you know, mm-hmm. um, people telling people that, and they believe that. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I told her, I said, you go down and you visit and you tell her whatever you have to tell her, honey. Mm-hmm. And you will see a response. I promise you, you will see a response. I don't know what it mm-hmm. will be. She's not going to jump out of bed and hug you, but right. there will be a sign that she can hear you. Right. I, I firmly believe they can take it all in. They just can't get it all out the way they used to. So she went down, and the family was sitting there with with this woman, really sad and not really communicating because they were told that they couldn't that it wouldn't happen, and Daniel went down and took her hand and talked with this woman and told her what, how precious she was to her and how much she meant to her and that mm-hmm. if, it was her, and if it was her time to go, that everybody was okay with that because the family, you know, she, she knew that and, and it had given her permission. And so she's telling this woman and, and holding her hand, and all of a sudden, you know, the woman's eyes pop open, and she gives my daughter a high five, mm, and wow. and you know it was a it was a moment you know she came home so excited you know to tell me about this yeah. and but it was life changing not only for my daughter mm. but for her family that was sitting yeah. there to see wow. that they could still communicate with their mom they still had time mm-hmm. to say what needed to be said yeah, and it's just that's wonderful. You know, you know, those stories, we just have to get them out. Um, and people, you know, we have to start shifting our consciousness and um, and making things better, you know, for the people who have, you know, who are diagnosed with this. Um, it doesn't, like you say, it doesn't have to be 
the living dead. None of us want to be viewed like that, and the only way that's going to change is if we change um, to make to make the difference. I loved what you said too when you were talking about we had to get outside ourselves and communicate mm. with them. And one of the tools I have is called Your Memory Chip, which gets people to focus not on the task at hand, but mm-hmm. it gets them to focus on are they safe, are they happy, are they pain-free. Mm. And when we focus on those three things, then, then it, it takes away our emotions, as you know, and it really makes us be able to connect, I think, on, on a whole different level of um, consciousness and it, it allows us to look for different things it allows us to feel different things and um, really be able to connect on a joyful level and not try to control um, mm-hmm. this disease because we can't control it um, we can't control much of anything um, and that's one of our our false beliefs in my my personal opinion there so i um I know I've got you over a little bit an hour here because I said I would hold to an hour. I could just talk okay. with you all day long. Um, but, again, I want to thank you so much for the You're work welcome. that you are doing. And if people want to get a hold of um, Naomi, you can go to the website, which is www.v as in Victor, F as in Frank, validation.org. And if you want more information, um, again, regarding those events for the workshop on May 3rd, the gala on May 4th, and the um, North America Validation Association, I will be posting information on the Alzheimer's Speaks blog um, along with the recording of this, um, of this interview for people to be able to pass on. Any last thoughts you'd like to share with our audience, Naomi? Well, no, I'm just so grateful that you are doing this, that you're helping people realize that um, you need to step into the world of the old person and that you can communicate with them on their level rather than try to do it on your level. You know, the whole issue of control, I think, that you mentioned is very important. That I think it's a matter of trusting that this old person knows what they're doing yeah. and giving up your own control and going with where they are. Well, and one of the lessons I learned, because I was a control freak. I mean, I literally, when I was caring for my dad with brain cancer, my mom with memory loss, working full-time, raising a family, the whole nine yards, and volunteering, you know, trying to be the, the you know, um, super mom or what I call the psycho mom, basically. Um, what I have learned through this process is when I finally was so exhausted and I couldn't do it anymore, trying to be a perfectionist and trying to care for others, when I finally broke, um, I found that giving up control, I had so much more of it in my life. Mm. Um, and people really kind of go, well, how does that happen? And it's because I didn't have the expectations. And so it allowed me to feel much more in control. I found mm. I wasn't judgmental. Um, and not that I'm not mm-hmm. judgmental, but I'm, I'm a lot less judgmental. I really try to watch mm-hmm. myself on that. I try not to have preconceived outcomes. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the biggest things this journey has taught me as an adult, um, along with the letting go, I would say the next biggest gift for me has been the one of I can play again. I don't mm. take life so seriously 
Mm-hmm. And that is such a gift. So when I go see my mom, my goal is just to get a smile or a giggle or a, mm-hmm. you know, a squeeze of the hand or eye contact, and that mm-hmm. makes my day. Mm-hmm. And, and it's the simple pleasures that, you know, I was overlooking on a day-in and day-out basis because I was so freaked out with everything I had to do. And I put that pressure on myself, but I also think society as a whole kind of raises us, you know, Mm. to be perfectionists and, you know, you're the daughter, you're supposed to do this and blah, 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 blah. And just the simple joys. And I didn't Mm. even know, you know, when that switch happened. And I don't Mm -hmm. know if you knew when it happened for you, but for me it was a moment when I literally slid a, a DVD over to a friend of my mom's in a restaurant, and I was so proud of it. It had a picture of my my mom, a woman who was doing um, some music therapy with her and myself. And I, this woman had not seen my mom in about 10 years, and I was so excited about um, my mom's response to music. And I'm telling her the story, and I slide the DVD over, and this woman in her 70s screams out in a restaurant, oh, my gosh, she looks horrible. Mm. And, and I just burst out laughing, and then I got the wow. seeing eyes. And I said, Kay, I, didn't, I don't see what you see anymore. And I mm. didn't even know that that happened. Did you have a moment like that when you just realized uh, that your life had really changed? And you, I, I was... It really happened on an unconscious level for me mm. until that moment. I knew there were certain things I saw differently, but the impact of sliding that DVD over and explaining to her that I don't see the chipped and broken teeth, I don't see the hairs out of place, I don't see the spot of food on her clothes or the, mm. the billy goat hair on her chin. I see the glint in her eyes. I see the dimples. I see the mm. smile. And when I look at the picture... I hear her laugh. Mm, that's great. You know, did, did you did you have a moment? No, because with me, no, because I was more evolved. You know, I'm more. I was more uh, being a little kid growing up in a home. A little different. Oh, sure. You know, sure. Because I was just part of everything as a little kid. You know, you're different when you're like three or four or five years old, and you grow up with the people. Mm-hmm. It's, a little different. So yep, just more, family um, and friends, and 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 kids are so accepting and so loving and so non-judgmental. That is mm-hmm. just, um, I mean, they, there's so many lessons we can learn from them as well um, in this process. Well, again, I thank you so much, and I'm really awesome. looking forward to you coming um, into town. Okay, look forward to seeing you too. Okay, and thank you again. Okay. Okay, thanks, Naomi. Great talking with you. Thank you so much. Yep. Bye now. Okay, bye. Bye. Now, um, I want to, again, thank our audience for listening and bearing with technical difficulty there. Um, I would encourage you, if you enjoyed the show, again, to like us on Facebook and help spread the word of Naomi's work and also what we're doing here on Alzheimer's Speaks. Our goal is to raise awareness for all the work that is being done. And so, again, here we have the voice of people who have 
uh, memory loss. We have family caregivers. We have business professionals and advocates as a whole. But it's about raising and elevating this shift in our dementia care culture to become to become one and to be able to fill our tool bucket um, with with the needed tools um, as this disease progresses and changes and, and ebbs and flows. Our next show is um, scheduled for uh, April 12th. I was going to say February, April 12th. And that is going to be Kathy Borey. And she is the author of The Long Hello. And um, that's going to be a really great, great show as well. So I hope that you can join us then. In the meantime, you know, have a wonderful holiday weekend, and we hope to hear from you soon. Bye now. Well, hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.